Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Gleason and this is Unmuted by Mosaic. It's Friday, January 20th, and we're talking about microaggressions with Taylor Floyd and Dr. V. And also welcome, this is our first episode of this semester. In this episode, our guests define the three types of microaggressions and share how they deal with them in their lives. We touch on some strategies for approaching tough conversations around them and some fun ways to learn about other cultures. Let's dive in. Um, hi, my name is Taylor Floyd. I am the president of Black Student Union. I'm also a sociology major. My name is Jamalise Valiente Neighbors. That's really long, but so I, I go by Dr. V. I am an associate professor in the sociology department, but it's actually the Department of Sociology, Social Work, and Family Sciences, but I teach the sociology classes. Oh, and I'm also the, um, I'm so happy and grateful to be the advisor for Asian Student Union and part of faculty council. Awesome. I'm big fans of y'all. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you guys so much for coming. I'm really excited about this conversation and been looking forward to it for the whole semester practically. So Aww. that's so nice. Um, but yeah, I wanted to start with just defining like what are we even talking about today, so we're kind of all on the same page about what it means. Um, so can you share what a microaggression is and possibly like what are some examples? I could go with a definition first, um, and I'll provide like little examples here and there, but I think, yeah, later on there'll be more coverage of that, right? Um, And add some too, if you want to add to like the definition. Um, uh, Microaggression is something that happens at the micro level. So, but by that, that means like individual or interpersonal level, as opposed to like macro level, like discrimination or something it happens like every day it's been defined as like subtle um it's behaviors comments uh that show bias or prejudice there are three types though so i'm i've learned this stuff from a psychologist uh, dr neiman and the first one is like a micro assault And those things are like you would see a swastika on the wall or something like Mm -hmm. that. So it's not like a comment, but it's something that you would see. So it was, it's called a micro assault. Um, And then the micro insult is like a comment that seems like a compliment, but it's like complimenting someone, like one individual who's part of a group. But then that comment is actually like a backhanded insult to the rest of the group, mm-hmm. right? Um, so maybe we can just talk about examples later on. Um, let's see. A micro invalidation, the third type, is when you or when someone of a historically marginalized group would say something like, um, I feel that we need more faculty of color on campus. But then someone who, again, it could be from any racial group, but if they go, 
no, like, get over it. It's fine. Like, this campus is okay. Um, like, what are you, you're being very picky. So that's like invalidating their experience, invalidating what they have to say as someone who speaks from like their background um, or as a student of color. So yeah, it's, that's a micro invalidation. So there's a lot, like there's variations, um, but yeah, we could talk more, I guess, when we go deeper into the examples. Yeah, I mean, that was really good. My, my definition was so like basic level, just like, um, I guess, like, a person making a comment without the intention of being offensive or racist or anything, but making a comment that is still offensive and racist, with that's, racist undertones. So. That's a great point. I totally missed that. Thank you. Like, mm-hmm. it's not, they're not, like, intending to be racist. Yeah. Um, but then, like, yes, it does have racist undertones. Yeah. So thanks for picking up on that. Microaggressions are not always easy to spot, and our guests are going to share more about how, when it does happen, it can be subtle for both the person who committed the microaggression and for the person who received it. I feel like, at least in my like experience, they don't ever say it with like an intention. It comes from like a place of ignorance. Like they don't, they're not really aware of what they're saying. So like to them, it's just like. Oh, well, like, I don't experience that, so it's not that big of a deal, but it's like, no, I experience it, and it's a really big deal to me, so, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Um, I think, though, now that I'm thinking about it some more, it can be so subtle that the person who received it might not even realize that it was a microaggression <laughs> until, like, yeah. maybe two hours later. Or they would, like, go about their day, working, going to school, all that stuff, driving. Or while they're driving and then they come home, they're like, wait a minute, like, why did my coworker or why did my faculty or why did my classmates say that? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's that subtle. Yeah. Um, it can be, like you said, subtle to the person who said it, but then the person later on was like, wait. Yeah, yeah, just like that uncomfortable feeling, the amount of times that's happened, it's just like someone says something and it's just like, that makes me kind of uncomfortable, I wonder why, and then you're just thinking about it, thinking about it, it's like, oh, that was a micro question, that's why, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Do you think there's any, like, bodily feelings or like emotional reactions that can kind of signify like this made me really uncomfortable and then to help you get to that realization that it was a microaggression Mm. I would say like like a type of like embarrassment you Mm. know like someone says something and you're like oh like that kind of feels like awkward like that's like ooh, like that's like a gross like feeling mm. and you're like why does something you're like oh that's why it feels really gross like it's just like weird yeah yeah absolutely yeah. like the one example i could think of sharing later on is that yeah it comes it, it was said and then i was like uh for those of you because this is radio like my eyes are like what? <laughs> like what do you call it? Like my, my like I'm getting a wrinkle up here. Yeah. Um, my eyebrows <laughs> between my eyebrows. But it's like yeah, it's again, it's not, it's not like an assault, like violence, right? But it's so, it's uncomfortable. It's what is it? It's not like earth shaking, but you're like, like wait, rattling yeah, like that's rattled, a great. Like, oh, like, okay, that's yeah. a great one to say, yeah. And how do you feel like after something like that has happened, you deal with 
the person or do you is that a decision that you make that's so hard um but yeah i was thinking about that because i was like that's like my biggest struggle it's like depending on who it comes from it's so hard to like deal with it because like for me i feel like oh microaggressions still come from people like you know you know what i mean like like they know you and your friends or like acquaintances with someone so it's like once from a stranger for me it's not hard because it's like ew like i will never talk to you again so it doesn't matter but like when somebody i know i'm like that's awkward because i'm probably gonna talk to you tomorrow or like i'm gonna talk to you like in a week from now and you just said something that made me really uncomfortable and like really icky and like not okay and i'm just like how how do i talk to you so i'm still like man i'm still navigating that because like I'm not, like, a big confrontational person either, so most of the time I'm just, like, I just, like, don't say anything, and I'm, like, stewing and, like, that kind of, like, irritation. It's, like, why would you say that? But, yeah, so I'm still, like, trying to figure out how to, like, deal with that. Yeah. Personally, if it happens to me, um, Mm -hmm. I do take a moment, uh, and I take some I think I would go home... And I like the word that you use. It's like stew and stew and stew. And when you're stewing or when I was stewing, I should say, I should speak from my experience. I would go back and forth about what to say to this person. How do I say it? How do I communicate how it impacted me? Um, Why is it important to me? Mm -hmm. Um, And that takes some time to articulate and put my words together Mm -hmm. and then of course imagining how might they respond to this because I it's not like I want a fight right it's not like I want um to make them um you know feel bad or worse about themselves but just let them know that that was not a good thing again like you said depends on the relationship we have with them if it happens though as someone who hears it um for example what if it happens in the classroom you know as they Mm -hmm. do right they happen in the classroom that one I would muster the energy to say something right away, either that class, like that moment when it happens, or I would then prepare myself for the next class meeting to then address it, like say something like, so this was said, and this is why it's not okay. Um, But if it happens right away, I would go, so we just heard this comment, does anyone have a response to that? And then we address it right away. I don't want that um, to make the rest of the class for the rest of the semester, you know, be hard and uncomfortable. So I'd like to address them. But then again, it's like, will they listen? We hope that they do. Mm -hmm. Do you often encounter defensiveness when confronting people about microaggressive comments? I totally, I feel like you always experience defensiveness because then People associate, people associate that with being racist. Like, they're like, oh, well, I made this comment, and you're calling me out for making this comment, and now you think I'm a racist. And it's like, no, you're not racist, but, like, you said something that was offensive and, like, kind of racist. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I don't know if we... Can we start, like, sharing an example? Because I have an example. Yeah, for sure. When um, it was actually for Dr. V's, like, not in your class, but it was, like, earlier this semester, like, inadvertently, I was reading a comment... And the, this girl, she um, used, like, an outdated term to, like, describe black people and, like, a black experience and things. And, you know, we emailed her and we're like, oh, yeah, like, don't don't use that, like, you know, that like that's not okay. Um, or, like, it was just outdated, like, you shouldn't use that term. And 
don't know if you felt it, but like when I read her response, she was just so like, yeah, I, I read your, like, or it was like, email later, like, oh yeah, like, you know, please respond to this if you see this message. And then she was like, yeah, I saw it. And I was like, no apology. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah, I, like, it was just like, you could easily see that the message, like she was extremely defensive about it. Like, yeah, yeah, I saw your message. And it was like, you could say, sorry, like that was kind of not okay not to say, you know? Um, and that was just a comment I read. So I don't like, I didn't get that interaction face to face, but like, even through that email, I could see like she was very defensive about it. And I was like, okay, you know. I thought you handled your response really well. So that was good. And I would have loved to have checked in with you after. Mm. I think what at that point in the semester, it was so busy. And that's the thing too, is that when it gets so busy, some of these things get swept under the table because it takes so much energy. Mm -hmm. It takes so much energy. And so, um, yeah, I would have loved to have checked in with you about that, but I'm glad that you responded well um, and that you addressed it well. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. Um, I think uh, your question about the defensiveness, uh, I'm grateful that when I have pointed out things that have been said to me, I've found people to be receptive. So, I, so I've been lucky in that sense. Again, it depends on the people I approached. But for example, um, in one situation where at the beginning of my tenure here at Point Loma, uh, I was not introduced as doctor, like as a doctor, while my peers were being, you know, introduced as Dr. Blank, Dr. Blank. But then when they came to me, they just said my first name. And I was, you know, I kind of just played it off. At, uh, I was on a panel and I said, you know what, my name is super long. So just please call me Dr. V, right? So I just kind of um, addressed it. And I don't think they understood it. So I don't know, admittedly, it probably took me two months to address it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's not quick, right? It, like it takes time to address it. Um, but yeah, once I did, they totally apologized and they even sent me an article they read that taught them more about it. And from then on, they were like on point. So I've been very lucky in that sense. So I found um, that people were receptive. And I think that's important because I could have done some microaggressions. I could have committed some microaggressions. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I have. Yeah. And uh, even though I'm the one who teaches race and ethnicity, it doesn't mean that I'm immune from mm -hmm. committing it um, that's why I don't even like to say that I'm anti-racist I'd like to use the phrase I'm practicing anti-racism mm -hmm. just to you know just to make it so that it's a practice I'm not perfect we're not perfect nobody's perfect so when I like when I um, commit microaggression I've had s students tell me and I'm so grateful that they do because then I'm I'm learning because I've done it and it's so embarrassing. So as someone who has received it, it's mm -hmm. like, uh, yeah. but as someone who's done it, I'm like, oh, my face gets really red. My yeah, ears yeah. get really red. <laughs> yeah. I think that's like what's so like tricky about microaggressions is because like people who commit microaggressions aren't racist because everyone commits microaggressions. Like that's like ingrained into our society, I feel like. So... Yeah, I don't know why I added that point. But. No, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I think it's important to note that, like, when we're saying microaggressive behavior, it doesn't just mean, like, a specific type of person. Do you have any advice for if you're in a situation and either someone was microaggressive towards you or towards someone else, 
but no one else is noticing it or saying anything about it. Do you have any advice on how to navigate that situation? As someone who witnesses it? Yeah. And no one is saying anything? Yeah. Oof. I would probably... Again, it depends on people's comfort level, right? And sometimes the person who committed the microaggression, if we know them well enough and they're actually receptive to learning it, then I would address them as well. But it's definitely really important to address the person that it was um, directed towards. I think that's first and foremost. It's like, are you okay? Um, How are you feeling? Um, How did that come across? And then again, depending on the other person's um, personality or relationship with you, then yeah. But like you said, if it was a stranger, be like, I don't know if they're even going to listen. But yeah, I would first address the person um, for like to whom it was directed. Yeah, no, I agree. I was going to say that too. Like, I feel like making sure the person knows that they're being seen. Like, I think Mm -hmm. one of the worst part about microaggressions when you're like in a group setting is feeling like no one else is seeing this except for the person who's receiving it. Like, I'm the only one being targeted. I'm the only one, like, going through this right now. Like, no one else sees a problem with it. And then, like, you start gaslighting yourself. I was like, maybe it's not a problem. Maybe I'm just being dramatic. Maybe I'm just, like, not getting what everyone else is, like, saying. And maybe I just need to calm down. But um, when, like, someone acknowledges that, like, oh, I saw that too. Like, that wasn't okay. That was weird. Then it's like, okay, cool. Like, I'm not alone in this. Like, Mm. so definitely, like, acknowledging the person who's experiencing microaggressions first mm-hmm. is a step I would take and then like going into having a conversation later mm-hmm. with like the other per- people involved. Yeah, I've heard too another strategy is to make the person repeat what they said mm-hmm. and just yeah. see if they feel like oh, maybe, oh, is that not okay? And then perhaps they'll register for them because again, sometimes mm-hmm. we like say things because we heard it somewhere, right? And then yeah. we like absorbed it and then we like say it out without meaning or intending anything. Mm-hmm. But if we hear it, I would probably go, what did you say? Could you repeat that again? As in like, like, do you know what you just said? Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but yeah. A defining characteristic of a microaggression is that there was no intent to harm. Despite the intent, there can be harmful impacts. Let's hear more about that. Oh, that's the other thing, right? Because microaggressions are not intentional necessarily, um, it's not, this is the part where we say it's not just about the intent, it's about the impact. Mm -hmm. Because if people, okay, so, I mean, let me just use this, um, picture and people might not agree why I'm using this picture but we don't intend to like for example run into someone on the road for driving uh or maybe some people do but like if we don't intend um to cause a collision but we do we don't go well I didn't intend to so don't right but then um but it's like about the impact so again that's physical that's about cars and vehicles but uh this one it may not be like you know vehicular yeah i don't know if that's a good word (laughs) but um the impact the impact of it and the impact of it is that uh, i might be just like getting chatty now (laughs) but the impact of it is that um it's hurtful Mm -hmm. it makes people feel like they don't belong 
it gaslights people too. Like if they said something like, "I experienced this," and they're like, "You're being too sensitive," and you're like, "Please don't gaslight my experience,"、um, especially like. Again, for a campus that's a predominantly white institution,、um, to be told that perhaps their experience isn't real, like they're not experiencing it, then、mm-hmm. they're like, "What's happening?" Right? But and then the impact of that too is that they feel like they、mm-hmm. don't belong here. So similar. And then I think there might have been a, a question about what's the impact in general. Is that stress? Right?、Yeah. Like people start stressing out all the time,、um, and. Feeling the stress of、um, not belonging here、yeah. at, on campus is like it brings people down. It it hurts、um, not just perhaps perhaps it doesn't just hurt like their eating habits, their sleeping habits, but they can.、Yeah. But definitely they would impact how they perform in classes, especially if the if the microaggressions are from faculty or from fellow students, right? Yeah,、mm-hmm. yeah, and I think that's like. A reason the retention rate at this school for like POC students is so low. I mean, at least for Black students, the retention rate is not that good here because、um, there is that isolation, like from constant microaggressions. Like you feel like isolated even when you're around groups of people. It's just like I feel so alone because like that, there's like a lack of acknowledging someone's identity, like a huge part of someone's identity. And yeah, so that's、mm-hmm. a really big impact. I'm sorry yeah. that that. Yeah, I mean, do you have numbers? As I don't know, like exact like percentages, but I know of three students who were freshmen、yeah. last year who didn't come back this year. Yeah, wow. Which is already like it's a pretty significant number because、yeah. we're already such a small like population on campus. But yeah, yeah, I was asking for the data not to invalidate your experience, right?、Yeah. But like asking for data because it's important to understand like、mm-hmm. the repetition or the pattern of、mm-hmm. something if we are not retaining our black students. Yeah,、mm. yeah. I mean, I think I've heard a lot of like loneliness is a、mm-hmm. really big one、mm-hmm. of like long term effects. I'm curious if there's any other like, not even necessarily just at a university experience, but like long term life wise, if there are effects of years of microaggressions, whether the same ones or different ones. This is not really rooted in data, so please, no one comes. Someone's gonna pop up like this is not a fact. I don't know. This is my personal opinion of what I've like observed, but I feel like assimilation to a certain extent,、um, which is just not beneficial for that that person who's assimilating,、um, and like I guess like a what word am I trying to use? I guess like forgetting or. Resenting your culture and your heritage, you know, like when someone from a dominant culture is constantly being like, "No, this is not good," or like making fun of you or isolating you, you know, with constant microaggressions and jokes and whatever. You just start someone like people just start assimilating, right? Like just wanting to fit in, like this need to like fit in and belong,、um, which has like I think very hurtful like long term effects. Yeah. I see that、um, because then you're saying if the dominant culture is saying that you are not enough, you don't belong, then a student can either try to just not be their authentic selves, right?、Mm-hmm. Like they have to tone down, quote unquote, tone down who they are and、yeah. what they're like and what they look like and what they say and their behaviors and all of that 
to the point of like do they know like are they actually being authentic and true and whole like if they're being fully themselves yeah Yeah. and I feel like that has like I don't know. I feel like as a person of color, surviving in this country is a very big aspect. Like, you just have to have, like, survival techniques from what we've seen in the world. Like, you have to know certain things to survive. And from what I've witnessed from, like, I'm going to use, like, black people just because, you know, I feel like that's an easy example. I would know that more. Um, Black people who do assimilate into, like, this white culture and kind of forget their roots i i don't know it makes me sad for them and also makes me scared for them you know what i mean because it's like how are you gonna survive if you're put in that situation i hope this is making sense i feel like i'm just like getting super sociological and like they're all like oh like "Eh, big picture you know but i don't know it just makes me nervous sometimes when i see that like that assimilation into white dominant culture because it's like you as a black person can't survive in that like you can't assimilate into white dominant culture and that's just like the the reality of it so when you forget your black heritage and your black roots and like survival techniques you're taught Mm -hmm. I don't yeah it just makes me very nervous thank you for bringing up that term assimilation because yeah Mm -hmm. I I typically hear it only regarding immigration Mm -hmm. and immigrants who try to assimilate into the dominant culture Um, So that's very enlightening for me that you're talking about that, too, in terms of not necessarily from the immigrant experience, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You asked earlier, Sarah, about impacts, um, long-term impacts of years of microaggression. Um, I mean, there's research, and scholars have found that um, stress and consistent daily long-term stress causes hypertension among adults so that's you know that's one um and i mean if someone is feeling like they're lonely or um, not their true selves i mean that could potentially lead to i don't don't know feeling down but i mean i'm not going to diagnose someone with like a clinical depression or something like that but if they consistently feel um sad or not their true and whole selves that must impact someone's mental health um but then again not but then to include in that um scientific studies that have shown it leads also to um increased risks in like heart disease or something yeah Um, Mm -hmm. but for sure hypertension yeah so it's having physical biological effects on on folks and as well as mental health yeah yeah um we mentioned a little bit about being in this water of like a PWI um but I'm curious if you have anything else to add about how being at a PWI affects the frequency and commonality of microaggressions um predominantly white institutions I would like to think that it is not automatically a source of constant microaggression for students of color um, and also staff of color also faculty of color um as long as the white population would be humble and learn more about different cultures and then also, um, yeah, and also just practice a sense of always being vigilant and going, oh, okay, um, how can I make them feel more welcomed? Mm-hmm. How can I make certain students who are underrepresented here feel like they belong here right Mm -hmm. so 
yeah, I'd like to be hopeful and say that it's not automatic. Uh, maybe because of the lack of um, knowledge, then it would be a source of uh, microaggression. But if they're corrected right away and they fix it right away, then it would be, those would be learning opportunities. But then again, that's someone who I'm faculty here, so my perspective is different from yeah. being students. And then, of course, your experiences as students. Like, I don't live in dorms here. <laughs> Thank God, right? <laughs> but, like, um, as in, like, faculty living in dorms, I'm like, oh, man, I, my office hours would be way extended. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm just speaking from that. So I don't want to speak for students or staff. Yeah. No, but I, I agree. Like, I think microaggressions, at least in my experience, microaggressions are experienced the most during your freshman year because you're taking a bunch of students who come from similar similar backgrounds probably um, and putting them in one place with students that they've probably never been surrounded by so much and they don't know much about them or their culture. So I feel like microaggressions are bound to happen freshman year. I feel like that's the most, like, that's when I experienced the most microaggressions and probably so many other students of color here experienced the most microaggressions because they're learning so much about each other. Also, I don't think the school corrects microaggressions right away. Like, I think if the school corrected microaggressions first, freshman year orientation, diversity training, diversity things, like, getting people used to being around people of different backgrounds and different cultures, it will lessen significantly. Um, yeah, like, cutting, like, having the white population be humbled, like, in an immediate sense would be very helpful, I think. What are some possible coping strategies for when someone commits a microaggression against you? Hmm. I think talking about it, at least for me, I think that's, like, my biggest, like, I vent immediately. I'm a venter. I will vent. I'm like, girl, listen to this. It's <laughs> awful. <laughs> um, but talking about it with someone who understands, like, someone who will validate that feeling. Because I feel like, in my experience, like, a lot of microaggressions occurred or when they did happen, it was around people that didn't realize it either. Or, like, they didn't see a problem with the comment or something. So going and talking to about talking about it with someone who does, like, once you repeat it, it's like, oh, yeah, what? Like, that was weird. Like, having that validation. I feel like having validation when a microaggression is, like, committed against you is such, like, the best possible thing. Because it's, like, when that it's not validated, it's like, oh, then the gaslighting starts, right? Like, oh, then I'm just being dramatic. Oh, that wasn't that big of a deal. Like, it's fine. Um... And then you kind of get used to that behavior. You think that's normal behavior when it isn't. So talking about it immediately, I think, is a really big strategy. I'm a talker too, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, for those who don't talk as easily as we do, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, journaling so important. Um, it, it's that it's getting it down right away on, you know, pen and paper or sorry I'm old school right but like um, perhaps you know typing it up mm -hmm. just to process it and then to have a record of it I think it's important to have a record of it just so that when they do or when they are ready to report it um, or address it mm -hmm. to have something to go back to because if people 
aren't validated right away. Um, n- not even people gaslighting them. We might even gaslight ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, did it really happen? Maybe I just took it the wrong way. Maybe they didn't mean that. Yeah. And again, it's not about the intent necessarily, right, but the impact. So then someone who wrote it down could be like, okay, I have something I can go back to later. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that helps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to folks who either deny or don't recognize the impact of microaggressions, like thinking that they're too minor or micro I guess to be important Ooh. Um, well first I want to reiterate to them well maybe not just to them but in general for those for the listeners <laughs> um, microaggression just because it happens at the micro level doesn't necessarily mean it's a small thing Mm -hmm. or a minor thing it just happens at the very interpersonal level Um, but if someone denies its impact honestly oof um, one I, I can't force someone to see it my way but I can just say, this is what it is, and you may not believe it now. I hope you do one day that this is very impactful um, in not a great way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I'm going to try not to use up all my energy to try to convince someone when they are not ready to listen. But I would like to hopefully plant a seed that one day it will make sense to them um but i would try to see again their receptivity um if they're open to learning or i could be like hey if you want to learn more and you're ready i'm happy to talk with you about it Mm -hmm. i'm trying to be as gracious and generous as possible when they are first either defensive or they don't think that it's that important um so then if they do want to talk about later you hope cross fingers then they know that they can come to me what would you do taylor no yeah i agree um i feel like when people are really active or like not really active but very like insistent that microaggressions aren't like a big deal and like they don't understand why like it's being taken so seriously i feel like i leave them to come to that decision on their own i'm not a big fan of like arguing with people like or like trying to convince people of things when they obviously don't want to listen or they don't want to be convinced of it so i feel like for me in that like situation microaggressions would be something they would have to come to terms with on their own by like either witnessing it or experiencing it themselves like I feel like that's the easiest way to convince people that something's real if they experience it personally um but yeah I think you had a way better way of me than me like because I would just ignore them <laughs> that's the <laughs> honest truth that's what I do I just like okay well goodbye I'm never talking to you again like I don't have like I don't know I don't like validating people who don't validate my own experiences like I think that's not okay like I'm just like we disagree on a moral level so I'm not gonna like put energy and effort into this but I mean you said the word surviving (coughs) earlier right so I suppose like if that's what helps you survive um Mm -hmm. that would be important definitely being community with people I think um you asked for coping mechanism earlier and we talked about talking or Mm -hmm. journaling um but 
don't deal with it alone. Yeah. Like, I think it's not... I think it would be so... I mean, it would reinforce the loneliness if we don't have community to be um, part of and to share that with. Yeah, Mm -hmm. cut people out of your life. That's my biggest... Actually, my biggest... (laughs) Cut people out of your life (laughs) who don't validate you, Mm -hmm. like, emotionally. If you have a friend like that, like, you are a person of color, they don't see how, like, a microaggression would affect you. Don't keep them as your friend. Um you're going to be in a world for hurt. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just not a healthy situation for you. And you should protect your peace before anything else. So, yeah. Okay. For, I'm not sure if this would be different for students and for staff and faculty, but if something like this happens, where can students, where can staff and faculty go if it's not just friends or, like, community, but, like, a procedural thing, I guess? Mm Mm-hmm. There is a Title IX Mm -hmm. form that I believe is uniform for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I hope it's easy to find. Oh, I am seeing head shaking. (laughs) No, unfortunately. Um, (laughs) So I think maybe that's something I can take back to um, fellow colleagues um, or, yeah, for colleagues to make sure that it is more accessible. the hope is that faculty put it on the syllabus or at least write down the contact person um, who is at this time Daniel Freeberg and uh, Daniel's been great and been very open to like please contact me so I put it on my syllabus just who to contact but the hope is that if you type into Google Title IX um, or harassment or discrimination then uh, and then peeling you that it yeah. would be accessible we're doing i think we've made changes so that it is much easier mm-hmm. but please update me yeah no yeah not. you can do- go to dr williams in theology he's on the board for that form of gantaris's board you can go to the head of title nine here i forgot i forgot her name but danielle danielle yes. okay you said her name. um but yeah so dr williams danielle i think when I had an incident, I went to Dr. Gates, and he found it for me. So possibly Dr. Jamie Gates in sociology. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, I mean, gratefully, there are faculty who mm-hmm. students can come to, and then um, hopefully we are informed in yes. showing students how to fill out the form. And that's the, you know, quote-unquote procedural way, as you mm-hmm. described. Um, it, and I'm wondering, is that good is that sufficient for students i think it would be if it was more visible like if we didn't have to like tell them like oh go to this person and they'll send you the form i know they talked about like they're actively working on making it more visible it just isn't at the moment so hopefully at least next year it'll be like on the website like they could type it in um they might even maybe possibly could do it now but i don't think they can i think they're like working on a specific page for it but Mm. Got it. If it was more visible, I think it would be very, very helpful. Yeah, I was going to ask, in terms of visibility, like, is there a place that you go often that would be a good place to house the link or the information? Mm, probably Workday. Workday, Canvas. Canvas, for sure. Canvas would be a great way. Like, maybe, I think they still have the COVID preparedness, like, forming your Canvas they could do COVID preparedness and then 
anti-racism because everyone's always on their canvas good point i didn't think about it that way i like that Aside from contacting Daniel Freeberg, who directs the Title IX program here, students can submit a bias incident report online through Student Life Information. This link will be in our show notes so y'all can access it. Um, no problem if you guys don't have resources, but are there any like books, podcasts, movies that students or anyone listening could refer to to learn more there's not like a movie on microaggressions <laughs> that i can think of unless there are like updated academic resources for that now but honestly to i think one of the most effective ways to be aware of potential implicit biases and prejudices that we have that then you know influence those microaggressions Mm -hmm. is if we develop our ability to understand what other people are going through when we don't know it for ourselves right Mm -hmm. and so what could other people be going through um that we might not know about so i would just say read a lot read a lot of fiction um watch a lot of movies um that's not of your background or that's not of just a dominant culture watch movies of different languages um just uh, listen to a lot of stories read a lot of stories because those stories point out the microaggressions like if it happens to them or it points out what they um what's not okay and what's you know what's okay so i mean that to me is like amazing and entertaining education right it's like entertaining and i'm also learning (laughs) No, yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing, like, familiarizing yourself with movies and, like, media of other people's culture. Mm-hmm. I think that's, like, the easiest way to become familiar and, like, believe yourself with those ignorances you may have about things. Like, fully submersing yourself into that, like... <coughs> <coughs> Anyways, um, it's, like, a funny... I don't know, this is so funny, too, but... Um, if you guys have ever been on, like on TikTok and seen those videos of people asking, like their friends or like their boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever, like oh like who is this person? And then it's like a black actress or a black actor, like someone who's really prominent in like black Hollywood and black movies. I'm like oh I don't know. And then I'm watching them like how do you not know? Like that's so they're so unpopular. Like they learn everything. But then it's like oh well they don't watch like black mm-hmm. movies often or you know whatever. It's like it's fine. But when you familiarize yourself with that, like you'll understand the culture better like any culture you want like any culture better when you familiarize yourself familiarize yourself with like their media i think that's like a huge way yeah i love that you said fiction too dr v i think yes. sometimes it, like even for me too and i like reading research like i think it can be overwhelming <laughs> to think about <laughs> absolutely how do i learn about this oh i should go like watch this intense documentary or something <laughs> yeah. but you can watch fiction you can read fiction and those are awesome teachers as well so and um i love graphic novels um i you know buy them because i'm like this is quick and easy and fun mm-hmm. and i'm learning so much and so i've bought a lot of ya 
graphic novels or YA novels.、Um, just they're faster if you don't have a lot of time、mm-hmm. to spend on reading fiction. I say get the YA stuff or graphic novels, and I just bought one recently. And you can go to your local libraries,、um, but this one is called. Who da f are you? <laughs> But let me spell it just because again, this is not visual.、Um, it's H U D A, who da, and then F, the letter F, and then are you question mark? And it's about、um, a Muslim young woman whose name is Who da and whose last name starts with an F. But I forgot what it was.、Um, but Who da f are you was written like on one of her.、Um, I don't know if it was written on her locker or something like that,、mm-hmm. but it made her feel like again she doesn't belong, and they're using her name to like、it's, twist it right. And、awful. so it is awful, and it's like a high school, you know, high school experience. And it was、um, after nine eleven, and so so again, just things like that. And I go, oh man, I didn't realize. I mean, of course, I kind of knew how. Not kind of, I I read about their experiences from scholarship,、um, but to read that and to see the graphic novel and have her be drawn by someone from the similar background,、mm-hmm. then I was like, wow, that's I can't, I didn't realize it was that, like it was like that. So yeah, fiction,、yes. but yeah, graphic novels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fiction and books are becoming so diverse now. Like YA fiction books. So diverse. I was in a Barnes Noble like a few months ago, and I was like, "Where are all these characters at?" When I wanted to read, like、right. when I was super into YA, I was like, "Where were you guys? Like what?" Yeah.、Um, so definitely reading fiction books because they they tell such real life experiences. It's like fiction plus people's real life, like the author's real life experiences、mm-hmm. usually go into them. So、mm-hmm. also cartoons. Oh, <laughs> I think cartoons are super big. Like they're super easy to watch, and like yeah, you also learn so much.、Um, yeah. Yeah. I do suggest, like, for certain cartoons, though, if you're gonna watch them, also understand, like, the purpose of them. So, like, I know a lot of people like to watch the Boondocks, and like, that's a great cartoon, like, really amazing, very informative, but it is like satirical. So don't like think watch the Boondocks and like that's exactly it. Yes, I learned so much. <laughs> it's like it is satire.、Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, do some research a little bit,、yes. but watch. Yeah, Kate- cartoons. KPBS One hosts like a One Book San Diego every year, and their YA book this year is、um, The Magic Fish, and it's by a Vietnamese author and artist, I believe, and it's great. So yeah, Magic Fish. You heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. You heard it here first. Head to the library. Go oh、now. gosh! Now I wish I got. I, I, I hope I got the title correct. <laughs> Can make sure. Yes, it's true. Is it Chatsworth? I, I don't know. So. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's over there、enough. somewhere.、Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around and for supporting us. We here on the Unmuted team are super excited for all that's to come this semester. Look out for new episodes on Fridays, and until then, make sure to stay safe and take care. This podcast would not be made possible without the Office of Multicultural and International Student Services at Point Loma Nazarene University. It was hosted and executively produced by Sarah Gleason. It was written and researched by Annika Barr. The promotions and graphics were created by Michaela Norwood. It was recorded by Point Radio at PLNU.